You're listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast, the show to hear tips and tricks about staying productive and having an awesome lifestyle as a remote worker. Proudly presented by Remote Compass and WorldPodcasts.com. Now let's welcome your host, Alan Kaig. Alrighty, folks, this is your host, Alan, and today we are chatting with Owen of Previous Next. Hey, Owen. Hey, Alan, how are you? I'm great, and I'm thrilled to uh, learn more about um, yourself, Previous Next, and uh, your ways of working. Can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and the business? Yeah, sure. So I think in the context of remote work, uh, I was actually working as a user experience design contractor for uh, most of the 2000s. And I happened to be living very remotely on uh, the south coast of Australia, uh, about four, hour, four hours south of Sydney, uh, literally living in a little cabin in a forest on solar power, <laughs> um, no power to the house apart from solar power. <laughs> Uh, in the early days of living out there, we were relying on very early uh, satellite internet to connect to the the world. And um, so I, I was living down there for most of the 2000s and was very used to working remotely myself. So most of my clients were still quite big corporate clients, mainly in Sydney, a few in Canberra, Australia's capital city. And uh, so I, I myself was, was just very used to dealing with clients uh, in that way, but obviously only working by myself. So that's obviously quite different to, to managing right. a team. And around 2008, a very old friend of mine and someone that I'd worked with in different companies over the years who was a developer, he was starting to think about what his next move was and I said, hey, why don't we start working on projects together? I can do the design. You can do the development. Uh, it could be a good match. And at the time, uh, he was a Java developer. I'm not sure how technical your audience is in terms of understanding different programming languages, but uh, Java is like a big enterprise programming language used by big banks and, and, and that type of thing. Um, but the types of projects that I was working on were more content-based. So I was working for one of Australia's uh, main TV stations, building out all of their web platforms. And um, so we needed something that we could build content-based uh, websites with. And after a bit of research, I found a, a platform called Drupal, D-R-U-P-A-L, which is an, an open-source software platform for, for building websites and um, I said to Kim, hey, if you can learn how to use this thing, we can go and pitch it to this TV station and, and see if they give us some projects. And they did. And we started <clears throat> our little company, Previous Next. So that, that, that's how we got started. Uh, and I'm sure there's more that I can talk about how we started growing. Right. And um, fast forward to today, um, can you share how different the story is versus the uh, origin time? Uh, so the story is not that different. So we were quite clear what we wanted to do when we started the company. So we wanted to work with larger clients. Um, both of us had worked in more digital advertising style agencies in the past. We didn't want to get stuck in those short turnaround projects and 
building banner ads and kind of direct marketing style projects. Uh, we wanted to work on projects that had more substance uh, and served a, a social purpose for um, lack of a, a better word. Um, and so while we started out working with this TV station that was obviously entertaining people, uh, we saw an opportunity within the government sector quite early on. So the software that we were using, Drupal, uh, it had quite a lot of traction uh, with government agencies in the US through the kind of back half of the 2000s. And in the Australian market, uh, generally, if something's been taken up in the US, it'll eventually get taken up in Australia. Um, so we saw the writing on the wall in terms of where techno technology choices might be heading within government uh, and adopted Drupal to then be able to pitch to government agencies. And literally within the first six months of um, starting the company formally, we picked up uh, building the, the website portal for our home state, which is New South Wales. So nsw.gov.au was the first site that we started working on. And we're still working on it today. <laughs> so, wow. um, so I think our strategy was quite clear in terms of we want to work with these larger organisations. So we tend to work with government, uh, universities, some larger corporate brands, um, but clients that have complex needs. So they might have a lot of content that they need to publish, a lot of different systems that they're integrating with, a lot of users. Um, and that's been our strategy uh, throughout is to uh, win those types of clients and then retain them uh, for the longer term. So I think our average client tenure is around five years. Um, wow. People like the New South Wales government we've been working for since the year that we started, so 12 years. And that obviously has huge impact in terms of the stability of the company in the longer term. Oh, and since you uh, live outside the city and um, you've been working this way for a while now, uh, you, you opted to without uh, like the the pandemic and all the other more recent considerations. You you, you uh, opted for this sort of lifestyle. H how did you start and maintain those relationships, especially considering that those are large organizations and big complex? long-term projects. I, I think those, tend, those higher touch types of projects typically require face-to-face -face and uh, uh, deep relationships with account managers, all that kind of stuff. H how did it look like in the beginning and how does it look like today in terms of maintaining your relationships remotely yeah, or otherwise? Yeah, so I think uh, what did happen for us in the early stages of starting the company was that we uh, were working with other contractors who were working remotely as well. Um, so our initial team was probably six or eight people, um, most of whom lived in remote parts of Australia. Um, and mm. by remote, I mean remote from us. Some were living in Melbourne, others were living in Queensland. I don't know if your audience is familiar with Australia, but it's quite spread out. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you could just jump on a plane and be somewhere within half an hour or so. So we did have that distributed team <clears throat> approach early on and uh, we found that 
that was a concern for some clients in those days. So we're talking 2010, 2011, our initial uh, t- t- time that we started. And so we did hire a couple of key people uh, primarily based in Sydney who were account-focused. Uh, so we had a, um, a key account person was one of our first hires or was our first full-time hire in Sydney. And they were on the ground and could go and visit clients in person. In terms of how that's changed over time, so I'd say probably half of our clients we work with are based in Sydney, the rest are based all around Australia. Uh, And over time, it's become less and less important to have that face-to-face contact with clients as technology's evolved and as the way of doing businesses has evolved. And because we already had all of those systems in place, uh, it was very quick for us to kind of move to almost a a lack of any face-to-face contact with clients. Um, And that's obviously been the case for the last year and a half with COVID. As for um, onboarding new client relationships, uh, I I would think that the onboarding period, the pre-sales period, uh, that will require more face-to-face does that remain to be the case these days or are you able to also um, find your way around that? Yeah, so Australia uh, has had a very strict lockdown approach in COVID. Uh, so at the moment, for example, uh, all of Sydney, all of Melbourne, all of Brisbane and all of Canberra are locked down uh, and you're literally wow. not allowed to move between spaces. Um, so it's, it's quite different to Europe and the US in, in that context. Uh, and that's primarily because the government has tried to keep COVID cases at close to zero, um, which is obviously very, very different to the rest of the world. So since March 2020, uh, all corporate travel has, has effectively been limited or banned by the government. Uh, and we had to just move straight into no contact with clients face-to-face from that point on. Uh, And we've been able to make that transition relatively easily because, like I said, we had the systems and tools in place to do that. And uh, now clients are very open and receptive to running workshops and scoping exercises and and all of those types of onboarding activities uh, just using online tools. And it's been a very rapid adoption by clients that were previously quite conservative around that. Have you been able to acqu- to close a new business without face-to-face contact at all? Has Absolutely. this happened already? Yeah. Wow. So I think this relates to how we do business anyway is um, because we're primarily working with government or government-funded organizations, most new business activity involves a tender process uh, where we're not necessarily able to have any contact with the client through that process anyway um, for diligence or due diligence purposes. So we'll often receive an RFQ, um, we'll author a response, we'll send that back to the client with no actual talking to them. uh, And then at the point that they've shortlisted, it's usually only at that stage that we do start discussions with the client. uh, And all of that's been able to continue uh, just using online tools. And like I said, these previously quite conservative organizations are very open to using these tools now. 
What are some examples of these um, systems or tools that you reckon might be uh, unique uh, for previous Next? Uh, so we probably don't use too much that's completely unique, um, but we have been very early adopters. So uh, I think our, when we first set up the company, we moved straight to Google Apps or whatever it's called now, Workspace. Um, yeah. I think we still have a... F- I think we still have a completely free account because we were one of the first customers. Wow, grandfathered. <laughs> Which is quite amazing. I hope no one from Google's listening. So from day one, we had all of our documentation and um, email systems using Google Apps, and that's obviously now been adopted by many other organizations and other companies like Microsoft have emulated that cloud-based approach to document management uh, and collaboration. In terms of collaboration tools, I think we relied on Skype was kind of the only voice conferencing tool that we could use back in 2009-2010. And obviously over the past few years, there's been a lot more uh, competitors with better functionality that have emerged on the market. And of course, Zoom is the poster child uh, for that success in recent times. And so we're, we're often using Zoom for all of our conference calls. Uh, we did still use Google Meet with other clients. So it, it basically just depends on the client and what their preference is. And then other tools that we've kind of moved towards in recent times that are probably a little bit more unique. So there's one called Miro that we use, which is more of a, a collaborative workspace tool. That's M-I-R-O, and it allows you to run workshops and put post-it notes and um, share graphic designs and have commenting on on designs and that type of thing. Um, A similar tool that we use is called InVision, I-N-V-I-S-I-O-N, and uh, it's more for designers to be able to showcase their design approach and for people to be able to come in and look at individual page designs, comment on them, um, send them back for a review, etc. Does that tie well with uh, Drupal? Uh, so it's, it's quite separate to Drupal. So we basically develop our design approach independently of, of mm-hmm. Drupal, and then we kind of build that into the platform um, using a whole range of different tools, um, front-end tools and things like that. Um, I think one front-end tool that's been very helpful in recent times is called Zeppelin. I think that's Z-E-P-L-I-N. And that allows designers to build out uh, component-based style guides. uh, And then that makes it much easier for uh, developers to then integrate the designs with whatever platform they're building systems with. So they're the ones that come top of mind there's a few others that we use more from a project management perspective Uh, we have one that we use for agile project management retrospectives Um, i think it's called retro or something like that Um, and again that's just a a specific tool that helps us have collaboration to work out uh, how we can build projects more effectively um, and I understand that until today, the uh, team members aren't co-located. So uh, almost all of your interactions with or without, without lockdowns, they're going to be online? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, I think 
we did have a period around 2011 that we started hiring people specifically in Sydney, um, thinking, okay, well, let's get a, an office and we'll have the team all co-located in the office and um, we'll be more of a traditional style agency. Um, and we did have that work quite effectively, but what we found was the people that we were wanting to hire um, in terms of their skill sets weren't necessarily based in Sydney and it was much more effective for us to hire the right person regardless of where they were um, as opposed to having this requirement that they had to be based in Sydney. So um, the team probably between 2011 and 2016, 17 uh, was probably 50% based in Sydney, some of them sharing an office, um, others kind of working uh, remotely from home within the Sydney area. Um, Sydney's probably as big as Manila in terms of land area, not population, but it'll take two hours to drive from one side to the other. Uh, and then the rest of the team were working in other parts of Australia. Um, and I think importantly in terms of our hiring approach, which we might talk more about, we have been quite specific around um, we want people to um, not, necessarily, not necessarily be within Australia, but be within similar time zones. So we have some people working in Perth, uh, which is two hours time difference to Sydney. Um, we have had some people working as far away as Taiwan. Um, but again, that's more or less in the same time zone. So that's our main requirement for people working remotely is that we want to be able to have that direct interaction uh, when most of the people in the company happen to be at work at the same time. So we've never engaged like an outsourcing project team kind of well outside our time zone, like other companies similar to us have done. How about um, in terms of uh, client relationships? Uh, do you folks work with um, overseas clients? We have done a little bit of work within the Asia Pacific region. But what we found is it's just simpler for us to focus on clients in Australia. And right. our philosophy is uh, unless we've got 100% market share of the types <laughs> of clients we work with in Australia, it's a big distraction for us to be trying to work with clients internationally. Sure, if the right opportunity came along and um, they were happy to work with us in the way that we liked working, uh, we wouldn't say no but we wouldn't or we haven't actively sought to set up an office in say Singapore or Japan or uh, another region simply for the being able to say that we have an office there <laughs> i see um, so so um in terms of the man generation uh the australian market is just too big that it's not a low hanging fruit for you to go international yeah exactly and i think that's what we've heard from other companies like us um, overseas. So we've talked to quite a lot of American companies who do similar services to us and said, hey, are you thinking of coming to Australia? And their answer is usually, well, we could just set up an office in Chicago and we'd have exactly the same size market as the whole of Australia. <laughs> it's kind of reverse for us um, where we've got a reasonable market share, but we're still a small company. We're not, we're not trying to be a a massive international company. And uh, yeah, so anyway, 
hopefully that answers. In terms of scale ambitions, is there any uh, burning desire to maybe double the business in terms of both headcount and uh, the number of accounts? Uh, so this is a really interesting question that does come up. Um, and our answer to that at this point in time is as soon as you go beyond 25 to 30 staff, then you do start having a lot of overheads in terms of management um, of that size team, and that will directly affect your profit margins. So there's this kind of gap between, say, 25 people and 50 people where you're really not necessarily going to make a whole lot more profit because that profit's going to be absorbed by the, the, complexities. The, of, the complexities and size of the team. Uh, and the mm -hmm. other issue for us as, a, as an independent company is maintaining that pipeline of new business and what we've seen happen with so many competitors. I mean, I've literally been working for a quarter of a century in this industry and mm -hmm. have seen it maybe not hundreds of times, but many, many times where uh, companies like us who are independent, they try and grow for the sake of growing. Um, they get to a certain size. They can't maintain their pipeline. Um, they've either gone into debt to kind of maintain their current size or they've lost control of their uh, financial management. And many of those companies explode in a pile of flames. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've been very aware of that um, running our own business. So we have made quite conscious decisions to we've got a sweet spot that we maintain, which is between, say, 20 and 25 staff um, and the level of revenue that comes with that. But also we have a very clear understanding of the profitability that we um, can have at that size. Um, and without boasting too much, our profitability is two to three times what many other agencies in our, our space um, is um, simply because we've been able to get that model right. Um, and it's not just about chasing the revenue. It's about how do you maintain a sustainable size company with good profit where everyone benefits. Nice. So it sounds very healthy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've been very um, conscious of maintaining that health of the business. So um, we're not risk averse, um, but we do uh, take a very measured approach in terms of trying new things. Um, and, I mean, an example of that is that we have implemented our own uh, managed hosting division and product over the past five years. It's called Skipper, S-K-P-R.com.au. And it's a cloud-based containerized hosting platform that we use on most of our client projects um, and we've taken a, a so softly, softly approach with building out that platform. It's quite a small team that manages it. Um, sure, we could go and get venture capital and try and grow it exponentially, but um, it's serving its purposes, ensuring that we provide end-to-end -end services for our clients. Cool. So you're introducing a, um, a new product line on top of your existing um, service yeah. uh, main business model, exactly. which is so, going to be far more sustainable, uh, scalable. Yeah. And I think um, the key approach here is that you're owning the client relationship throughout their full project life cycle. So we onboard a new project, we design it, we build it, uh, we then host it. And then in the longer term, we maintain that platform, we enhance it, 
uh, we add new components to it. And like I said, most of our clients have multi-year engagements with us that we uh, are very conscious of uh, continuing, <laughs> and that mm-hmm. just has huge benefits to the business uh, in the long run in terms of stability. Sounds like a very well-managed business and a great place to work. I hope so. Owen, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, can you share with us uh, one thing that your work taught you about remote that you reckon everybody should understand and appreciate? Yeah, so I think um, the important thing in terms of finding the right people for this type of company structure is it's not going to suit everybody. Um, And you do need a certain type of personality and certain type of person uh, in a certain stage of their own life. So what we found with most of our team is most people have families, um, most people have young children, uh, most people have interests and activities outside of of work, uh, and we come together to kind of have fun working on projects together. And I think it's, it's really important to understand that not everyone's going to fit that model. Um, and we haven't really been, ha- haven't experienced too many failures with that simply because we, we go through quite, quite a rigorous process when we are recruiting people. But the, the people that really fit well with this model are people who are there for the long term um, and like all of the benefits that come from having the independence of, of working remotely. Um, and I might not have mentioned, but our staff tenure is huge as well. So I think the average in the tech industry is maybe 12 to 18 months average tenure. Um, our average, I looked the other day, is about six years. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're obviously doing something right. Um, yeah. And, and that's about primarily giving people autonomy in their roles, um, but they do need to be at a certain maturity in their expertise to have that autonomy already. So um, our staff do tend to be a little bit older. Where we do fail, um, if we have a failing, is that it's very hard for us to bring junior staff into the mix. Um, So we can't just hire someone with a year's experience straight out of college um, and expect them to have the mentoring in a completely remote environment. Um, We have tried that a few times, Mm -hmm. and that's probably been the, the main thing that we failed at is being able to bring those younger staff through. Um, So that has meant that we've had to push to hire people with quite a lot of experience already, so minimum kind of five years professional experience um, so that they have that maturity uh, that they don't need someone to be mentoring them constantly. Um, Having said that, though, we have a team structure that does have a a very high level of mentoring amongst the group. And I think what we found is that the A team, they want to have A players on on their team. So if you introduce someone that isn't up to speed in terms of their skill level into that A team, um, they'll quickly get rejected as a harsh word, but it's <laughs> <is> an accurate <laughs> word um, by the team because if someone's needing hand-holding to be part of the team, they're not supporting the rest of the team. So that, that's probably been one of the, the most interesting lessons. Um, and then I think the, the th- other lesson that I'll leave you with is um, while you can have very good relationships with people in these remote settings, it's very hard to gauge people on a one-to-one basis 
only interacting with them online um, and you can't necessarily catch issues that have maybe been building up for a while without having very regular check-ins. So we, we do have a, a, a process in place where our senior staff have monthly check-ins with all of the staff, um, but even then we still get surprises. So, And I think especially in these COVID times, people are reassessing their life situations and career choices. And so we have found that through COVID, particularly we've had a couple of people say, okay, I'm going to go off and do this completely new new role and I'm leaving the company as a result. Um, so that's disappointing, um, but it's a combination of uh, all of the, the pressures and stresses that COVID has created and, and people kind of having to think, okay, is this really what I want to be doing? <laughs> especially when we're all in lockdown. Can you briefly de describe how the uh, check-in looks like? Um, is there like a particular uh, topic? Um, how do you get folks to open up? Yeah, so I think um, one thing that we had uh, through the first half of running the company was we had a formal evaluation process um, for people doing employee reviews. And that would be a kind of traditional 360 review where their peers um, commented on how they were going in their roles and then there was a formal discussion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we had a, a, an all-team catch-up about five years ago and the whole team said, we don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we just want to have a, a casual discussion um, with people that we notionally report to. Um, we, we do have a very flat hierarchy, I should point out. There's no real seniority in terms of team structure, but there's obviously people who are more managerial than others and a couple of those people, part of their role is to have regular check-ins with people within their team um, and they're just casual chats on, hey, how's it going? And are you enjoying the projects you're working on? Is there any uh, issues that you haven't been talking about with the rest of your team, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that though, the, the teams themselves are very self-managed in terms of identifying issues within the team of how they're working together and how they can improve that. Um, and that, that's kind of traditional agile project delivery methodology that, again, we adopted very early on. Right, yeah. It, it sounds like uh, your ways of working, there's nothing like too unique about it, quote-unquote, but uh, what's uh, special is... You folks are uh, early, very early adopters of modern ways of working in terms of going remote, all that kind of stuff. You have yeah. this culture of being in the bleeding edge and you just uh, sort of follow whatever is the best practice at the moment without getting left out. Yeah, and we will try things uh, that we've seen written about that might be new ways of doing things or new tools. Um, the team will themselves go through an evaluation process of that, um, specifically new tools that are coming out for development and whether they should be adopted by the whole company. Uh, and the team themselves are the ones that say, okay, we don't like this. <laughs> We're not using it. Um, a, a really good example of that was our own internal project management tools. We'd use this, uh, an open source platform called Redmine for online project management for many years. Um, most of our clients had started moving to Jira, Atlassian's product. Uh, the team initially weren't big fans of Jira. 
Um, but as it became clearer that most of our clients were moving to it and we needed to fit in with that, we then went through a, a, um, quite a formal process to transition across to JIRA completely, which we've done in the past couple of years. So, again, it's the team that are saying, okay, well, we're recognising this. We need to adapt to it. <laughs> um, sure, there's aspects of it that we may not particularly like, but um, we recognise that we, we need to make this change. Nice um, ongoing growth mindset and culture. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's more sustainability. So that, that's something that I've been um, more focused on in terms of company leadership is what's the sustainable model? What does this company look like in the next 10 years, for example? Um, and, and there's a whole range of things that we're starting to do that will address that, employee ownership being being one component of that, which is a whole other discussion, which I haven't told the team about yet. I'm, telling, I'm presuming this won't come out until next week. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, Owen, uh, this has been great. Uh, can, can you share with folks uh, where they can uh, learn more about yourself and the business, um, Yeah, in, including uh, potential hires? Yeah, sure. So our website is previousnext.com.au and uh, we have a number of roles that we're hiring for at the moment, primarily development roles. Uh, and if you're part of the Drupal community, we're hiring very active in in that software community. Uh, we're going to be talking at the Drupal South conference being held online next Thursday, August the 19th. And you can find out about that at drupalsouth.org. Very nice. Yeah, thanks, Owen. My pleasure. Great to talk to you, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our upcoming or prior episodes. This show is presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com.